This is Yemen News. I'm Alex Williams. Today we have the pleasure of having Amir Adin Abdelmalek Gehaf with us. He is the son of a Yemeni father and a Ukrainian mother, both of whom are academics. Amir grew up in Hadja, where he graduated high school as a top student and was awarded a scholarship to study medicine in Cairo, Egypt. However, when he returned from Cairo to visit his family in Yemen on a summer break, he ended up being detained without trial for two years and three months. He was detained in hidden prisons affiliated with the Muslim Brotherhood and sanctioned by the Saudi-led coalition. In today's episode, Amir will share with us about what happened to him and why, and how he managed to survive his harrowing ordeal and recover his well-being. Welcome to the podcast, Amir Adin. It's great to have you on here. Uh, hi. Well, first of all, uh, you know, tell me about yourself and how you grew up. My name is uh, Amir Adin Abdelmalik Jahaf. I was born in January 1994 in Grunet of Hadja to a Yemeni father and a Ukrainian mother. I grew up in Hadja, where I completed my elementary and secondary education and graduated high school from Jama'a Nasr in 2012. I was considered one of Hadja's top students with a score 94% and was granted a scholarship in 2013 to study in Egypt. In Egypt, I had the privilege of studying medicine at Cairo University, where I managed to complete the first and second level. When I finished the third level in 2016, I decided to travel and return to Yemen to visit my family on the summer vacation. I and group of my colleague of classmates traveled through Cairo Airport to Bisha Airport in Saudi Arabia, heading to Sana Airport as our final destination. Back in the days where the airport was operating, my return to Yemen coincided with the Kuwait negotiation that we had hoped would end the war in my country. After spending my summer vacation, with my family for two and half months, I decided to return, but coalition enforced the closure of Sana Airport. I and my classmates had no choice but to travel through Sion Airport, which is located in eastern Yemen. We had to travel a long distance and get through several cities when we reached Marib, Governorate. I was imprisoned with my classmates or colleagues at the Al-Falaj checkpoint, but they were released the next day and forced to live under street while remained in well I remained in prison. I mean that's uh, you know that's uh, an amazing story. So you started out studying medicine in Cairo, and then when you wanted to go back. You were on the way to Madib, and then you were arrested at one of the checkpoints out, outside of Madib. Um, you know how? What happened next? You know after you know after you were arrested. Uh, you know how were you traveling to Madib? What was it that happened after that? Uh, I stayed in the prison two years and three months and three months. Uh, and the route was normal, nothing happened. We were on a large bus with more than 30 people 
we passed the capital Sana'a, the governorate of Damar and Al-Baida, finally reaching Marib governorate. The first ordinary security point was ahead of us. We thought just like the rest of the security points in Sana'a, Damar and Al-Baida. We then witnessed yet another security point until we reached a third security point located at the entrance of the city Marib, called Al-Faraj. It was third security point that completely changed the situation. One of the soldiers who looked like he was in 17, in his 17s approached us and began to inspect everybody's passports. After a few minutes, he returned everyone's passport, but mine and he started yelling, where is Ayman? I want Ayman out of the bus. I was shocked and confused, thinking who made Ayman be. Later on, I turned out the soldier was calling for me. I got out of the bus and there was a group of soldiers or, mil or militias waiting for me. They arrested me as if I was a terrorist. My colleague or classmates then joined us attending to show the soldiers our university cards. Are you with him? The soldiers asked my classmates. Yes, my classmate, classmates responded. They arrested them with me and took us all to a dark small room at the same security point with rats and one musket soldiers as our only companion. As we were talking in the room, the masked soldier kicked my friend. While another, while another soldier came in treating us with his gun, pointing at us. After about half an hour, they took our phones and asked us to get on a card that took us to a prison called Court Jail, Mahkama, by Arabic. We hoped that it was a court awaiting us, but we that we're disappointed with when we found out that it was once a court that had been turned into a prison. Well, let me let me summarize for the listeners there. I mean, you were coming on the bus through to to go towards Madib, which you were going to fly out from the east because the Sana Airport was closed. And then you were stopped at the Al Falaj uh, checkpoint, and the soldiers basically they took you out. They pointed you out, and and then they took you to a uh, court. Uh, you thought you were going to a kind of a court, but actually they were taking you to prison. We hope that it was a court. Yes. Right, and then. And then uh, what happened after that? I mean, they took your phones and you weren't able to communicate. How long were you in, in those prisons? Uh, I stayed for two years and three months in several prisons in Maryland. All these prisons are affiliated with the Muslim Brotherhood and are under auspices of Saudi Arabia or coalition. There are also hidden prisons. Whereas I stayed in one of them in the city. The hidden prison was established in a building recognized as Al Saleh Technical Institute, which was secretly turned into prison. 
without any of civilians' knowledge. Some citizens even lost their lives inside this prison. Order of the prison that I visited is as follows. Court prison, central security prison, like camp for militias, Al-Saleh Institute prisons, politically security prisons, it's like a camp. Uh, I understand that you were, you know, you were moving around different prisons and you say that it's, um, that it was affiliated with the Muslim Brotherhood and under the, the control of the Saudi-led coalition. But who, who was responsible for this? Do you know uh, more specifically on who was responsible? Abdul Ghani or Abu Muhammad is the security official for Marib. And he is primarily responsible for the security points present in Marib. When I was brought to the court prison, one of the people there told me that he would go to Abu Muhammad Shalan or Abdul Ghani Shalan to demand for my release. One of the torturers in the prison was the one responsible for training militia under the command Abu Muhammad Shalan. Furthermore, when I was released from prison, I realized that he was the one in charge of kidnapping citizens from security checkpoints. As for Islah Party or Muslim Brotherhood, also known as Muslim Brotherhood, it is the official sponsor of everything that happened in Marib. It was only thought a prisoner exchange process that I was finally granted freedom. And the one behind my prolonged detention was the Islah Party, the leader of Al-Islah Party in Hajjah Gouverneur, Mahdi Jaber Al-Hatif, and other Hajjah leadership figures in Marib insisted on my abduction and imprisonment. So what is there what is the motivation of the Islahi party or the motivation of uh, these uh, Islahi leaders uh, what is it that motivated them to to put you in prison you know why you and not the others the malice and hatred they carry and the work of militias that does not aim to serve the homeland this is the first motivation behind their action there are other motives as well, such as personal revenge on some people or means to compel some people into meeting certain demands and living blackmail. But, you know, there were also some, you know, I understand that uh, there was also some accusations on you. Um, you know, give me a little more background on, you know, some some of their some of their work that uh, the Muslim Brotherhood was was doing? Above all, I was first charged by one of the investigators of holding the name I was given, Amir al-Din Abdul-Malik Jahaf. My name is accusation by itself. I mean, do you mean that... Were, uh, yes. Sorry to interrupt you, but do you mean that because your name is, like, from a northern tribe? Yes, and the first... Amir al-Din Abdul-Malik Jahaf, my name is accusation by itself. It's in the first. There, is, uh, there were a malicious charges falsely, falsely brought up against me. They asked me to confuse it under torture, beating with a stick and chaining my hands 
to the ceiling that I had participated on fronts, visited Iran and Lebanon, practiced political activities in Cairo, serving Iran and possessed headquarters in Cairo. There were no bases for such charges. A year and a half later, a year and a half later, they told me, "You, your charge is your family." Uh, finally, nothing else because most of your family support the Houthis in Sana. We, we are waiting for them to take the initiative and exchange you for people affiliated with the Muslim Brotherhood imprisoned in Sana. They apologized me, apologized to me after a year and a half. And when I got out of prison, they told me that they had been forced to imprison me, but this didn't make a difference for people's life because people's life is not toy. I mean, I realize that, I mean, I appreciate you sharing this for us. I mean, it sounds horrible the way that they were torturing you you know, beating you with sticks and chaining, you said you were chaining, chaining your hands to the ceiling. Uh, you had first gone to Cairo for medical studies, I understand, because both of your parents are also uh, ac- academics. And but I, I understand that the main accusation was just because your family name is from a northern tribe and the Muslim Brotherhood was you know, you know, racist against this, you know, was opposing this. Was there any other psychological or physical torture that you faced in prison? I and those in prison were subjected to psychological and physical torture. There was one of the torturers called Abu al-Ghassam, who is affiliated with Shalan. He would visit to prison al-Saleh Institute three times a week without reasons, but to torture everyone, beating, punching us. He would also order us to stand on our heads, and whoever doesn't uh, comply would get beaten. Sometimes he ordered us to lie on our stomachs as he beat us with iron chains or sticks on our backs. There are people who did in prison right in front of my eyes because of torture. And for example, uh, Yahya Al-Gah and uh, Muhammad Muraid and uh, another people and uh, Muhammad Al-Awdari. The strange thing is that everyone who practiced torture was masked. They were too afraid to reveal the features of their faces. On the other hand, the psychological torture was embodied in the food and water they gave us, which barely kept us alive, as well as the lack of hygiene. We were very crowded in the uh, we were very crowded, and the city of Marib is known for being a desert with an extreme, extremely hot weather, which was yet another mean another mean uh, of torture. I was in a Falah Institute prison in a room measuring three meters to four meters, uh, 23 people. In political security prison, we were in a room measuring one and a half to two meters 
we were six in number people. If we are to get into further details about torture, we would not have sufficient time. Yeah, I mean, it sounds it sounds horrible and just so inhumane. Uh, you know what I what I'm hearing. I mean, the torture and the uh, the psychological torture, not not to mention the physical torture as well. Um, what you know after a while? I mean, this was over a over a two and over two year period. You know, what was after being there so long? What did you find out to be the purpose of all this? Yeah, did you find out that there was what was their agenda? What was their purpose in all this? Eventually, I started to comprehend the real aims behind this imprisonment and inhuman treatment. It was meant to drive me mentally ill. Hmm. I uh, confronted uh, myself and kept on repeating to myself that even if I detained me for 10 years without anything, I shall be free one day and will live the life I dream of as a mentally healthy individual. Yeah, and and uh, I mean, it's. I always say that the Yemenis are resilient. They are very strong. That no matter what, no matter what, they're attacked or imprisoned or bombed. Yemenis, they always are survivors. Um, I always think uh, there are so many Yemenis out there that are heroes that are, um, yeah, that are surviving. And and it's it's. It's. I think it's important for the world to hear how Yemenis are treated in prison uh, on both sides of the war. Um, what uh, you know? What other experiences did you have while you know while you were in prison? And uh, so after all everything that happened in the prison, you know, how did you how did you finally come out after you know after more than two years? How did you come out of prison? I finally got out of prison with Allah's will. I was one of the 15 people exchanged for 18 prisoners. In return, I don't know anything about the people I was exchanged for. In my point of view, all of the many people deserve to live in freedom and dignity. So, I mean, you've told us a little bit about the prisons in Madib that are under the Islamic Brotherhood and also... Uh, you know, run by the Saudi-led coalition, as you were saying. But is it the same case in Sana'a as well? And 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 I mean, I know there are people in prison there. Is it the same situation from what you know? There, this is there are mistakes, and I am sure that uh, there are oppressed people in prison. However, there is difference between those who treat you as a human being and those who treat worse than animals. And uh, through this interview, I invite those who are in Sana prisons, if this injustice in Sana prisons, reveal it to the masses for they must be aware. So is there there anything else that you'd like the world to know, uh, Amir? It is uh, very important for the world to know what is going on in the prison that are not for the public to see or hear about. Such experiences must be 
recorded in history for future generations to know who stands behind their prison and that they were human monsters. And, you know, uh, you know, there are some people that say that the same ideology that is in the Islahi party is the same ideology that is in the Wahhabi Sunni sect, and it's the same ideology that is in the Al-Qaeda and the ISIS. Is it the same ideology and methodologies, or do they or are they different? I think it is one ideology and uh, methodology shared and embraced by all of them. Okay, and, and when did you finally, you know, you finally got out of prison and you reunited with your family? You know, tell me a little bit about what's been going on in your life um, recently. I feel safe uh, wherever I find my family. Uh, now I am seeking to complete my studies and the, uh, at the Faculty of Medicine in Sinai University. I only have two years left and I will always fight for those who are still in hidden prison that people don't even get to know of. I will strive to do everything I can for them to be free once again. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's great. I think that, you know, you are a voice for those that aren't able to give a voice. You know, I'm sure there are dozens of Yemenis inside prisons all over the country. Um, uh, you know, I want to say congratulations to you as well. I know that you were recently married. Is that correct? Uh, yes, uh, on February 27 is one of the happiest day, uh, happiest day of my life, and I do compare it to November 5th, the day I got out of prison. Well, we will definitely remember those dates. November 5th, the day that you came out of prison. Uh, Amir Din uh, Abdul Malik Gehaf. Uh, thank you for November fifth. It is uh, for me is uh, a new birthday. <laughs> it's like a new birthday, right? Well, I hope yeah. you. I hope you can finish your studies. Uh, at some point, you can finish your medical studies. We need lots of doctors, and we hope. And I really hope for the best for you and your wife and and your family. And I appreciate you coming on the call today with us. Thank you, thank you. Amir's story is another story of Yemeni resilience, as he survived his ordeal by telling himself over and over that no matter how long they detained him, he would be free one day and live the life he dreamed of as a mentally healthy individual. Amir was able to hold on to hope, and we could only imagine what it was like for his family to receive him back after two years and three months. I do want to take a moment, though, to repeat the three names that Amir shared with us. Yahya al-Qah, Muhammad Murayd, and Muhammad al-Audari. These three men were detained in the same hidden prisons where Amir was held for no other reason than his family's name. They were detained there and tortured to death before Amir's own eyes. Their families did not receive them back, and they did not get to live the lives they had dreamed of, and we can assume there are many more like them whose names we don't know. What's interesting is what Amir shared about the men who tortured them. They always wore masks. This type of inhumane treatment takes place in hidden prisons behind masks. Although the torturers have the power and hold the very lives of their prisoners in their hands, they are still afraid or ashamed to reveal their faces and identities when they treat another human being barbarically. No matter what our family name is, we are all in the end Benny Adam, 
as we say in Yemen, sons of Adam, descendants from Adam. This is why we all have the same basic human rights, because ultimately we all have the same father, the same origin, and abuses of those rights, like we've heard Amir describe today, can only continue when they stay hidden and when they are allowed to stay behind the mask. Like Amir, I want to encourage those who know about such abuses from any party in Yemen's conflict to keep documenting them, to keep speaking out, to keep exposing the authorities they hide behind. Unfortunately, we heard on June 16th that the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres removed the Saudi-led coalition from the list of those who committed grave violations against children within the last year. The watch list on children and armed conflicts has said that the Saudi-Emirati-led coalition was responsible for the death or injury of 222 children in Yemen last year. This was preceded by reports on June 15th of airstrikes that killed at least 12 civilians, including four children in Saada. News like this can be discouraging when documented abuses seem to be ignored by institutions like the United Nations, who have a mandate to defend human rights. Nonetheless, let's be persistent and hold on to hope, like Amir did, and keep exposing these abuses. Let's keep telling ourselves that no matter how long this war continues, if we persevere, we will see human rights upheld in Yemen, and the Yemeni people living in the healthy society they dream of. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I'm Alex Williams, and this is Yemen News.